Welcome to Honey, I'm Homeschooling the Kids, a podcast that steps into alternative education, parenting, and living a funner, fuller family life. I'm Robin, home educator, unschooling mom to two funny, eclectic kids, and we're here to create a space for families to listen, connect, learn from others, and be inspired. Join us every two weeks to hear interviews and tips from experts in learning, education, and parenting, and stories from families that are playing full out in the arena of life and education. World schooling, unschooling, alternative schooling, homeschooling, or just creating a whole new style of learning. And this episode is brought to you by Mel Science. Thanks, Mel Science, for the sponsorship. Mel Science is a subscription service that offers monthly science boxes, which combines hands-on experiments with VR and AR technologies to engage kids in studying science. Mel Science is about exploration, experiments, discovery, and asking questions, all of which comes naturally to all children. They help nurture children's natural interest in science by giving them fun, hands-on experiments to engage, serious, detailed explanations to learn, VR and AR technologies to dive deeper. And this is definitely one resource that comes highly recommended from my daughter who loves her Mel Science subscription. And this month, Mel Science is offering a special discount to Honey, I'm Homeschooling the Kids listeners. They're providing a 50% discount for the first month off of any of their subscriptions, chemistry, STEM, physics, coding, and it's easy to access it. All you have to do is go to the link in the show notes and you can get the discount by following that link or by using my promo code, which is HONEY. So remember, the link for Mel Science for that discount is in the show notes, or when you're checking out, use the promo code HONEY. It is for this month only. So this episode is fantastic. It's with Monica Cochran, and it's one that you might want to grab your notepad and pen or sticky notes to take notes that you might want to put on your fridge later just so you can reference them. It's hard in an introduction to really condense so many, many good points that you're going to find, but really we're laying the foundation for learning from all ages, infancy to teenhood, but based on the science of feeling safe, the idea that you can't learn if you don't feel safe. And a lot of the discussion, we talk about co-regulation and supporting our kids with that and how we can co-regulate with our kids as well. And as we lay this foundation, I also asked Monica to reference back some of those other smaller specific details that we often get questions on, like, you know, how we help our kids with math or um, spelling or writing and how we can do these things in fun, meaningful, relevant ways that help with lifelong learners as well. And And Monica's a great person to talk about with this. Because her background and so many years of experience, she has all of those things, right? The Bachelor of Science degree, child development, social work, early childhood education. She's worked with Fred Rogers, with Mr. Rogers. Um, She has a teaching certificate in learning disabilities and an emotional impairment. But she's been active in in alternative education for a long time. She's a home-educating parent herself. She supports other home-educating parents. And, you know, she's been also personally been active in working with survivors of traumatic brain injuries and learners with those issues and how they can redesign their lives because she's been in those shoes when her youngest son was in a serious car accident. 
So she's a wealth of wisdom. She shares a ton of resources as well and books and information. And she herself has um, fabulous resources and connections. Learning Without Borders is one of them. So enjoy this episode and I'd love to hear your feedback. And don't forget my Patreon community. We have our monthly meetup. So the last Sunday of this month of June is our next meetup. And it's a great place to really explore and discuss many of the things that come up in an episode like this or the questions that you have or how it relates to your own life personally as well. So you can go to patreon.com slash honey, I'm homeschooling the kids to join the community for this summer. And for this summer, this community is accessible to all patron levels in my Patreon community. So it is accessible. And I really want to help you and support you in getting ready for this new school year to come in the fall or depending on what hemisphere you're in or the next part of your learning year as well. So enjoy. Okay. All right. So we can begin. So. Welcome. I'm really excited about this conversation today. I have Monica Cochran joining me on the episode. Monica, welcome. Well, thank you very much. I'm so excited to be here with you today, Robin. Oh, thank you. I'm excited too. Monica, everyone, she's someone that I find whenever I get a chance to chat with her, I'm always learning from her, actually from the first time that I was ever connected from her and she's always stuck out. Um, so I, I'm really thankful that I've had the chance through things like Clubhouse and online to be able to connect with you and and to continue to learn from you. So I'm excited that you're coming on the show because I know many parents are going to really appreciate what you have to share, your knowledge and experience, and I know they'll be able to find it really useful within their own home as well with their kids. So thank you for being here. Oh, I appreciate it because I'm always learning too. I mean, that's part of what I think we're all lifelong learners and I learn every time I'm with a family, a kid, a colleague, we're always learning. Yeah, that's the beauty of it. Absolutely. So for those of you that aren't familiar with Monica Cochran, Monica is passionate about nurturing the love of learning and has vast experience helping learners of all ages enjoy learning. Working locally in the Ann Arbor, Michigan area and virtually online, she especially enjoys helping learners who have unique talents and challenges develop their strengths and learn in ways that work to become lifelong learners and thrive in our 21st century world. She's worked with children, parents, and other adults in a wide variety of educational, hospital, and business settings for over 40 years. She's worked with moms and babies, learners at all levels, and corporate training with engineers and new hires. Monica has been active in alternative education since 1978, home-educated two of her children, and worked with other home-educating families both on the ground and virtually for the past 25 years. She's now in private practice and serves families with kids who learn non-traditionally for various reasons, using strength-based approaches and partners with others to facilitate workshops and courses on strength-based learning and resilience. Monica has earned a Bachelor of Science degree from the University of Pittsburgh in a multidisciplinary program in child development social work and early childhood education, and a master's degree from Eastern Michigan University in special education. She also earned a primary Montessori certification from the American Montessori Society and is an advanced DIR practitioner and a provider of SSP, which is Safe and Sound Protocol, and the ILS Focus System of Integrated Listening Systems. 
She holds a K-12 Michigan teaching certificate in learning disabilities and emotional impairment. And since 1997, following her youngest son's auto accident, she's also been active in working with survivors of traumatic brain injuries and learners with other health issues as they redesign their lives. Thank you, Monica. Oh, thank you. <laughs> it's Lovely. such a... Yeah, what you do, I think, is so powerful, and I think it's really important to share uh, all of the work you do in your experience in education as well, because I know it's your framework for how you support learners in your life and, and the learners that come into your life as well, learners and their extended family. So, you know, I think we can get into it. Um, yeah. In your bio, it, we, there's a little bit of your background. But maybe if you could share why, as a person who really got into education, and, you know, usually you say education, we think of the traditional standard education, but your life is really taking you on the path of learning outside of the classroom, learning without borders. That's how where you can find Monica's learning without borders. What brought you away from the traditional sense of learning to more of the alternative, um, creating, really recognizing the learner and supporting their strengths? What drew you to that learning? Well, you know, it was a twist of fate that I actually even got into education because I was a child development major and all the funding for the things I thought I was going to go out and do got cut. So they offered us this opportunity to get a teaching certificate, which I never planned to do. Uh, and then I had an opportunity to work with some amazing practitioners who had come back from the British infant schools. This is back in the 70s, so I'm telling you how old I am, um, <laughs> before they went through their big shift, right? So I knew that child-led learning could work, child-centered learning. I knew it was possible to personalize learning because I saw it happen. I was a part of it as a practicum student and got to work in the classroom. So I knew this was possible. Um, and so this is kind of what I thought I'd be able to do. And then I had my first um, experience with public education. Um, and it is a funny story. I don't want to take too long, but I was teaching um, second graders in the summer school, a bunch of little boys who didn't do well. And I'm taking these new ideas I learned about making games and everything. So they, as soon as they saw the workbooks, they were like, oh, they put their heads on oh, the desk. Yeah. Yes, great. Yeah. I said, well, no problem. I have scissors and glue and little things. We're going to make games. So we're on the floor cutting and pasting away. And the principal walks in. She screams, what's going on? The kids all race to their desks, of course, you know. And there I am, 21 years old, sitting on the floor, you know, my face getting red and hot and flushed. And, of course, she marches me off to the office. So we had a number of conversations because I actually knew her. She was a nun and I had her in school. And um, I just said, you know, we can't do this again. They've already done this. You know, and she said, oh, we have to, you have to show me they're going to learn. I go, I can't tell you everybody's going to learn the same amount. I'm going to tell you this is where they came in, but I can tell you everybody's going to learn. Mm. But of course, the kids and I bonded immediately. I got yelled. I got, she didn't grab me by the arm, but she stormed off. And I was definitely three steps behind. So we agreed I would not, we would not sit on the floor. We, but we could push the desks together. <laughs> that was the conference. And they all made, and I ran back to graduate school. That was my first foray. <laughs> so this is not for me, you know. Um, but yeah, so I think those are the kind of things. So I was really fortunate. And my undergrad, you know, I really got to meet really cool people like 
Fred Rogers and um, Salma Freiberg. And because the founder of my program mentor was Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers. And so I met Pittsburgh. Right. Yes. Right. Because that's where he's from originally. Right. We got we got to go to his studio. And, you know, so interesting. He really is the same person. He can be very firm, though. I mean, he was very we went in and, you know, a couple of people were messing around. He said "Um, this. If you need to do that, you can go do that outside. Mm, right. <laughs> Very expensive production here. But um, so I had an opportunity to see that when people work together, we use kids' curiosities and strengths. I saw it work. I mean, we had 60 kids in first to third grade in my practicum experience. 60. 60 kids from first to third grade? Like they were one blended class? One big classroom. Okay. Teachers two practicum students and an assistant and everything except for maybe handwriting or something was all individualized and tons of, this is back in the seventies, tons of group projects. And, and I remember thinking, this is so cool. I had 12 different ways you t- that kids learn spelling mm-hmm. without being taught. She goes, Oh no, we have more. I come back with 28. I come back with 30. She says, no, I have 46 different ways in this learning environment. Kids are learning spelling without us doing direct instruction. Wow. 46 different ways without direct instruction. Fantastic. I, I just think of right now, I'm also thinking of how many parents so many times reach out and say, how did you teach your kids to like, what's the best way? Which is the right way? Which is... And, you know, I, I'm, you know I, it's hard to explain in a short DM or, oh, yeah. like, oh yeah. you know, your kids are the right way. Like they're individual child. But I love hearing that, that that was your environment, your practical environment. You're in 46 different ways, 60 kids, grades one to three. Yeah. And it's amazing because people say that to me, too. And I, when they tell me they went and bought a whole bunch of spelling books, mm-hmm. I say, oh, wow, you know. Um, what are you hoping is going to happen with these spelling mm-hmm. books, you know? And um, they're going to learn to spell. I said, well, you know, they're going to learn those words that week that you're working on that. Right, right, right. right. But there's a ton of research that, that doesn't carry over. Right? That it, it stays. It's kind of like the cramming for the test. Here's the material in front of you. You'll learn it. And then that's it. There's no context or application or sticking with like it's sticking. It's just, and then you move on to the next thing. Okay. It's that whole thing. So, but it's not, but you know, people, how how did your kids learn? I go, you know, some of my kids learned by writing, you know, but not me correcting them all the time. Mm -hmm. They began to self-correct and, you know, now we have, you know, auto-correct. One of my kids did it when she started chatting you know, online. How do you spell this, mom? I said, oh, what do you think? And she'd tell me what she thought. And then I'd say, oh, you're pretty close. You know, and I said, why don't you come over here? I'll write it down. Because again, we know that spelling is visual memory. Right, right. right? So I would as much, I couldn't do it all the time because, you know, we don't do it all the time. But whenever I could, I'll bring it over here and I'll write it down for you. Because then she sees it, right? Mm-hmm. And she does it. And then she copies it. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. I, I, every parent, if you get a chance, you can rewind that part. If you have that question, you know, how do I, you know, with spelling and your kids learning spelling, when they ask to spell a word, 
you know, what we can do. Well, how do I love that? Well, how do you think it might be spelt? And then kind of bantering back and forth and then inviting them to come and see it written down. That's yeah, absolutely. We, we loved playing. I, I know it's not a good word. We probably have hang persons, probably a better, better way of saying that now, but you know, um, people say, how did your kids learn grammar? I said, we loved Mad Libs. Now, again, my kids didn't, it was great in the car. It was great when we were traveling, you know, or all those kind of things. So I guess the thing is you got to make it fun too. And it's got to be meaningful and it's got to be relevant, right? So um, yeah, it was really important to my husband and or dad and I that they become lifelong learners. And you're not gonna you're not gonna do something lifelong if it you don't like it. Right. So yeah. we did everything we could do to help them. And again, I have to say I know a whole bunch more now than when I started this journey. So if I knew then what I know now. I would do a lot of things differently. Yeah. Like and that's the story of all of our lives though, right? Yeah. I say the same thing as well. If I knew now what I knew then, or even before I had kids as well, yeah. then, you know, that would be different, but. It is. And so, you know, but I think we'd have, one of the themes has been that we wanted them to use their talents and we wanted them to nurture their interests, you know, right. and use that well, those, those were kind of key points. And, and we wanted, I guess we wanted them to realize their own potential, right? Whatever that potential is. And um, like we were talking before we started, you know, it means you got to hold space for a lot of stuff. Like like when they're two, you got to hold space for them to explore so they can figure it out. And then when they're teenagers, you got to hold space again because they have the all of Yeah. <laughs> Which is funny if you think about it, it's, it's true. In all those ages, it's about holding space it's I'm just thinking about it now is because this was a good conversation we had before we started this um and if you guys know I was like Monica just wait I need to record this is so good I want to hear this I need to press record um it's it's the opposite to how we frame education education is about filling up that space telling as much as we can all that information and data telling them what to do directing them which is the opposite about of leaving space or creating space because space is that emptiness to do so many things or just that emptiness that you need instead of trying trying to fill the void and directing it so yeah it's really interesting how that's like how it holds how it really is opposite in that it is and and I'm very grateful for an opportunity to um to do the Montessori training back in the day, right? And and just like everybody else, it was a part of my life, but it was the first time that people said, let's, well, it wasn't the first time, but it was in an educational setting, let's observe this child and let's okay. in, hold space for it. Now, again, people have an idea of it as a curriculum. I look at it as a philosophy, right? right. And she was an observer and she respected children and she observed children. And I think that was a key piece for me is I began to observe children's learning. Right. You're right. not looking to, to fix things. You're mm -hmm. observing what they already know. Right. Right. And, and that's um, a big difference. Okay. Right. Yeah. And the classroom, when they would come at the beginning of the year, would be pretty empty. I said, well, I don't like the word we're normalizing things. I go, well, we're getting everybody, you know, in, used to the learning environment. And I don't know my kids yet. So I don't really know what needs to be in this environment yet. Uh, so if I get to know the kids, then we're going to put, you know, because sometimes you're, the composition of, because you have kids three to 
six at the time or two and a half to six, you know, I kind of sort of know if I have a lot of two and a half year olds, we're going to be, it's going to look a little different than if I have a lot of older kids and it's going to look different. That learning environment is going to change. And so we call it a prepared environment there, but at yeah. home we call it strewing, right? Right, right. Okay. Home, we, we look at our kids' interests and say, okay, you know, you're interested in rocks. Let's go learn about rocks. You're interested in cars. Let's go learn about cars. And that, I think that piece of looking at Montessori or whatever your philosophy is, looking at it as a philosophy, not as um, I have to walk through this curriculum. Right. A strict regimen that has to be checked off. Yeah. One of my favorite mentors, um, she passed away a few years ago, but I can remember we were on a canoe going down the river and we were having this conversation because she was a director of curriculum for a local school district. And she said, oh, I just loved having the new teachers come every year. And she would ask them, what's your definition of curriculum? And they'd give her all this stuff and she'd write them. Now I'm going to swear you to secrecy because she said, a curriculum is everything a child is learning. Right. In its broadest sense. And so that's been another theme is that I think we have to enlarge our notions of what learning looks like. Yes. Yeah. Right. And our own baggage around it. Right. I usually find when my kid has to know this, uh, you know, tell me more about that. What, what, what's really important? Why do they really need to know this? Because the world is changing so fast. Um, they need to know how to learn. Right. So usually there's a story from all of us. You know, it's our past. It's our story of whether it's the multiplication tables or it's spelling or it's something. And we have a story about it. And that story is what keeps us up at night. Right. If my kid doesn't know how to do this, they won't be ready for the world. And I just we got to interview Pat Ferenga. And if Mm -hmm. you don't know Pat, he's um, I know Pat. Yes. He's kept on the legacy of John Holton. I've known Pat for decades now. And we were just talking about um, how far do you go with interest-based learning? How did you get? And I remember driving him from the airport to a conference one time. And he said, I go as far as I can go and I can still sleep at night. And so now we met over the, we've been working on different projects together over the years. And he goes, now I go as far as I can go. I can I can't sleep at night. And then I try and go a little further. (laughs) (laughs) Because, you know, even in the past 25 years, I've known Pat, the world has changed. Right. Right. Um, So we have to keep growing. And as we grow as people, then we can give our kids that opportunity to also grow. And um, I think that's another key piece is that we have to keep growing as people and then that's another way they learn. They model us. Right. right? Because my mom's always learning something. My kids, my mom's reading 12 books about that. She's really interested in that. I can tell she's got 12 books about it now, right? Um, my daughter said, um, mom, we're not going to have the talk, right? Because you've already got 12 books here since I was eight, right? We don't have, to have the talk, do we? I said, no, I didn't think we were going to have to have the talk if I, if I started with these books, you know? <laughs> um, so, but that kind of thing is and it's a joke I mean that's how I learn all my kids don't learn that way we're all readers and we all love reading but they don't all learn that way um, so but it is that that's how I learn I love to read and it's a way for me to learn but it's not necessarily the best way for everybody to learn right. by reading 
Right. So maybe I think this is, it's one of those things where I'm like, we could go down this rabbit hole. Oh, no, it's fun, huh? But, I, but I, it is so fun. And I also would, I think this is probably a good intro into one of the things I wanted you to talk about too. It's something that I'm learning more about. Um, so I, I'm, a, I'm a new student on this and something that you have a lot more expertise on. And I love how you turn, it's the polyvagal theory. Um, yes. Dr. Poor is, is the, I guess, the person who really coined it or, you know, the framework of it. And, but you call it the science of feeling safe, which for me is really relatable. And, you know, I think it fits really well in this conversation of learning and how learning is unique to each of us, how we can bring expectations into the learning, our learning and our children's learnings, and how we can support learning best, how learning really flourishes, truly, physically, mentally, emotionally, in all those ways. Um, so, you know, the basics that I, I love how you describe it, you're, you're saying how with the science of feeling safe, you can't learn if you don't feel safe. That's like the basic yep. underlying foundation of it. So for especially home educating parents, unschooling parents, parents that are looking, that are with their kids, looking for an alternative, how, where do we even begin to help them to feel safe so that they can then learn? Okay. So I think what Dr. Poor just really did, he started by studying premature babies and brachycardia when their, their, their breathing would actually stop, right? It would go so slow. So this is our autonomic nervous system. That's that part that does all the stuff for us at the base of the brain. You know, it's our breathing, it's our heart rate, it's all those kind of things. And it's connected to all of the organs. So that's our autonomic nervous system. It's connected to our belly, our heart, our lungs, everything. And there's a way it connects and it's called neuroception. And it operates under our radar. We don't, it's like our own um, safety detector, right? And when we detect something in our environment that doesn't feel safe, it sends off this alarm, right. okay? So we don't want to be setting off that alarm for our kids, right? As a parent, right. like, oh, and it can happen in a lot of different ways, right? So that's what we call neuroception. So what we need, and that's our automatic safety detector, because we are wired to connect. We want to connect. And People talk about, and that's a whole other thing about kids with autism, but they do want to connect too. It's just they're connecting in a different way. The neuroception happens three different ways too. We have neuroception in our own body, like, oh, my hands are sweaty. I'm noticing. Oh, my heart's beating really fast. Oh my goodness, my stomach. I have a tummy ache. I'm holding oh, my breath. Heart tight. Yeah. Holding my breath is, yeah. When, and you, you see these kids, they're, they're going to do something. They're, <gasps> they're holding, and you know what? You are decompensating your autonomic nervous system when you do that because you need to be breathing out. So that's one thing. There's all kinds of things you can do, like humming and everything. And then we have neuroception in our environment, like bright lights, the fluorescent lights. Sometimes it's the noise. Like, like um, there's one kid that I worked with. Nobody realized it was the, the, the air conditioner that was in the room. Oh, the, like the that droning sound, yep. And that's a signal because that's a predatory sound. We are wired to hear those low tones and we're wired to hear the really high ones. Like, you know, mm -hmm. the baby, you ever been in a store and you hear that newborn baby? Everybody looks. Yeah. Or your little dog, you step on your tail, they yelp. Yep. We're wired 
and automatic, my heart starts beating. You know, when we were breastfeeding, my milk would let down, you know, you don't have all those kind of experiences. I, yes, I, I remember <laughs> being, yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So those were wired like that. So that's neuroception. And then there's neuroception in between people. And that's where we have to be giving cues of safety. Okay. And that's body language. You know, that's our tone of voice. You know, um, it's the way our face looks, right? Smiles are usually, and it's not that fake smile. It's the one where they got the crinkles by your eyes. Right. And I'm older, so I got a lot of crinkles here. But, <laughs> you know, you, but those are that we have to give cues of safety. And I have to say, for all the years I've been doing this, I worked with one young woman for like we had eight years from the time she was 10 to 18. And I can remember her saying, Monica, I feel safe enough with you. I could even learn math. Mm. Right. Mm. I mean, and, and that means it's okay to make, in my it's okay to make a mistake, right? right? Mistakes are how we learn. So creating that between us, that relationship. So the relationship has to be more important in education than the content. Right. But if we learn under fear, then we've triggered, you know, those of you who, I'm a, I'm a neuroscience geek, so I love to talk to amygdala. We trigger that amygdala, and we are no longer looking at possibility thinking or anything. We're going we're gonna to be right into black and white thinking, because if I'm coming up against a saber-toothed lion, that is not the time to decide Oh, I wonder, I wonder what species this is. No, you know, I got to get out of there, right? Like freeze is the, what we yeah, usually think of. That's yeah. what we think. And that's our sympathetic nervous system. That's the second part. So we want to, we have to, we're going to keep going up and down those three different levels all the time. Okay. Right. We're going to be safe and secure. We're going to be in fight and flight or, um, right. Riotty coyote, as one of the kids call it when I'm in that state, or my monkey mind is going all over the place. Um, and then there's a turtle, you know, where I've just crawled into my shell and I don't care anymore. Right. Um, those are the three states. And we go through them all day long and we have blended states too. So it's a little more complex, but just as a basic understanding. So when I see my kid all turned off, he's not going to become, you know, sunshine and unicorns in a minute. So usually, how do I get him? I said, well, usually movement is the best humor and movement is usually and breathing out is the best one because okay. when I exhale then I'm telling my my nervous system calm down everything's okay mm. and my voice needs to be that it's okay too so when we're screaming at our kids listen to me you're not listening that's not exactly gonna help them listen to you and I know I'm not going to say like I've never yelled at my kids because if they happen to hear this, they would go, "Mom, really? <laughs> you don't remember that time?" That <laughs> yeah. So I, this is you know, and we have to kind of attune to our kids, but we can't do it all day long. So right. if you know, we attune, but they need that one-on-one -on -one time with us, even five minutes a day, where we're they're in charge for a little bit, right? We follow their lead. Right. We tune into what like I just watched a game. I asked her near. I've never known about so he told me all about it. Now, was I terribly interested? But I just told him, I could be interested for five minutes. And then mm -hmm. once I was when I was there, it was OK. I, I Oh, yeah. What is that? Oh, my God. That 3D printer. Wow. Different size ones. Oh, is that because you could only you know? So you can get interested in these things. Um, so those are the three parts. You're you have a hierarchy, right, of right. faith and sound fight and flight or shut down, you have the idea of neuroception, 
which is it's happening. I can't control it. Right. The and physical have, feeling that happens. Okay. Yeah. And then you have co-regulation and that's where we can make an impact. Right. So I can co-regulate with someone. Now, once they're in meltdown, we're just going to ride it out. Right. Cause there's, you know, we're not going to get them to stop having a meltdown. And when you say we're just going to ride it out, is that something like we step away and give them space to have that meltdown? We counter and maybe embrace in a hug and give the, the connection and safety. What, what, how, what would that look like then? It depends. <laughs> it depends on the kid. It depends on the age. It depends on the circumstance. Mm. It depends. And that's what we do. And I think, you know, um, Dan Siegel talks about it and Mona Delahook does. And I love her work. By the way, she uses polyvagal theory a lot in her work. I love that. She's got a new book. I'll give it a plug. Brain, Body, Parenting. It's really good. I just read it. Um, right. And, you know, these ideas are, are not new, right? But right. we have to meet the kid where the kid is. And obviously, if we can notice it before it happens, then we are in a better place to influence it. We can't always, right? We don't, we didn't see it coming. And, and then the other part is there's that, we could have a rupture there, right? But we can always go back and repair. We right. can repair that. We can say, hey, I'm sorry. We were in the store and you were having a fit. And, you know, I was embarrassed. So I picked you up. And so sometimes these little things, when they're small enough that you can actually do that, help later on when you're going to have that conversation right right okay. they're 13 you're not going to be picking them up anymore so hopefully you've got something going back and forth by then um but i think we make deposits you know i learned this from stephen covey you know you make emotional deposits all the time right. so when i have to make a withdrawal hey this isn't the time right now i can't talk about that right now time out we need to talk about that when we're done here Right. Well, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, um, so you have your little signals with your kids, um, hopefully at a regular tone of voice. Right. <laughs> Not um, actually, my kids didn't like it when I got very quiet, because that usually meant you something. Know, right. Interesting. Mom, mom, yeah. Mom is like, really? You know, and yeah, one of my kids said her tone, her tone is dropped. She's. <laughs> Or the words are slower. So yeah, this is not a, right. I'm really, I'm really working at it here, you know, but I had one kid who kept following me around when it would do this. And my other kid would go, can't you tell mom's upset? You know, go <laughs> 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 <Yeah>, away. <laughs> you know? One kid had to tell the other kid, it's not a good idea to keep following her around. <laughs> Walking away for a reason there. So yeah. So, you know, I can speak about this because, I've made all these mistakes hmm. and you learn from them and you do the best you can do with what you know. And then we want to know more and we want to, you know, do a little bit better. So, yeah, I hope that, I hope that helps. But it's just a basic, really basic introduction to it. It fits very well with those of you who are familiar with Dr. Greenspan's work um, um, with developmental individual differences in relationship um, and Mona Delahook also uses that. So I guess that's why she's probably one of my favorites now because she takes two of the key things that I use a lot. And that is, we want to join in with kids first. Because when right. we join in... Build a connection then, first. Yep. And then we get a little bit of back and forth. 
And then I love getting the gleam. I love seeing that light in their eyes when you get that, that I call it the beam and gleam. I and mean, you see it with little babies, right? And we play peekaboo and they giggle and laugh. And we see it with older kids too, when they're telling you about something they're yeah. really excited about, right? Yeah. Um, so we don't want to lose that. that I called it, I wrote about it in a blog post. Third, I call it the third grade days. We don't want, we don't want the light to go out. Right. So if I'm, I'm thinking if I'm a parent right now, who's listening to this and I'm just in my home, home education journey, I'm just starting out and I'm just kind of feeling my way. I don't know what to do. I I hear all of these ideas. I hear about homeschooling traditionally, and I hear about Montessori and I hear about unschooling and Charlotte Mason. And, but then I think, well, I know school. Okay, so yeah. I know they yeah. need to do math and I know I need to practice their reading and writing and do some science. And so maybe I should make a schedule and <laughs> you know, make sure that they are not like their class is going to be doing this. So they should be doing this too. I want to make sure they're not behind, hopefully ahead or yeah. you know, whatever. Um, and then, so I'm going to start planning out the year. I'm looking at curriculum. I'm looking at something that will help me because I'm new to this. I don't know. Uh, and then from the curriculum, I'm going to make up our school room or school table and get our schedule going so we can start off on the first day of school with a bang and ready to go ahead <laughs> and out the gates. And here we go. Yeah, I know. And, and I made that mistake, of course. We, like all made, we all did that. And that's for anyone listening. I want you to know we're, we're smiling and giggling because we've been in that place. So you're, yeah. you know, you're not alone. What would you, you know, what would you maybe say before we're like out of the gates? What yeah. maybe, what are something, maybe we could step back a few things to keep in mind or take note of before we begin that um, classroom looking journey at home. I have a colleague, we worked together for 10 years and, um, and I used to work with a lot of the kids who had been in school and it wasn't working out. And she did too. And we would say, um, school took up so much of your time. What are some things you would really like to learn about you didn't have time to do? Mm. And um, let's have a, we didn't call it a staycation then. I think that came right at the end, staycation. What could we do in our environment that we didn't have time to do? Mm. So, you know, and then, I would notice the kind of things my kids like to do already. And sometimes all oh, their video games, like I'd sit down and watch those games because there's something about those games that they like, right? right. Whether it's- It gives cars. them that gleam. Yeah, that gives them that gleam, right? Yeah. Um, so, you know, do that for a couple of weeks. Just give yourself, especially if you've been in that, in that like I left, I, I did it. I was a reluctant home learner because my sons, I'm not going back. It's like a prison. Mm. And I- he got frisked for having a phone and he, I, he had a phone because he was biking and he was between a couple of schools. It was a, one of the complicated situations, but anyway, he's calling me and all of a sudden he's not there. And this other person's talking to me and I'm going, who, who is this? And I go, who is this? <laughs> like, you know, so we had one of those <clears throat> louder conversations with somebody and they go, well, you know, only people would do this. They go, whoa, 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 whoa. He's on a bike. And I need to know he got there. And this is why he has this little phone. And um, so we left shortly after. And um, we put together a thing. And I and I remember. Um, you left school shortly after that incident. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. And they didn't even know he left. This guy in the college didn't even know he left for like two or three weeks. 
We had wow. turned everything in and everything. And um, so we, we kind of put things together. I knew there were some people he liked to do and we did some things. But math, he was really, really good in math. And, and my husband was traveling. And so my husband's really good at math. And he had kind of been helping him with the math. And I, I found a great tutor he could ride his bike to. I was so excited. I bought this 100 and this is 1993. I bought a $125 book. Mm. Yeah. Advanced yep. math book. Yep, that would be a yep expensive one for sure. You like a university textbook cost and basically. He, he takes it down, and the guy calls me and says, "I'm really sorry. You know, this book it's really not a good match." So what do you mean? Is well, he doesn't need 32 problems. He needs like three or four really interesting problems. Mm -hmm. But if you want me to use this book, I will. So it's still a joke. It's still in our basement. <laughs> you know, it's 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 one of those Howard and Walker. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's a good. Yeah, but it's that that it's that it has to match your kid. It right. has. It has to. And so this guy's name was Don Watkins, and he would give my son these great problems, and we'd all be looking at him. He'd put them on the counter. We'd all be trying to solve them. You know, um, but it was it would it became enjoyable, right, right, right. in front of him right in front of the little things but it was so cute you know but that was my lesson you know and that's why when I work with people please don't go out and buy expensive stuff when you first start yeah we all have our our we thought our kids were gonna love it and my kids said mom please we're not gonna play school are we <laughs> right they knew they, they were like we're home because we're not going to school so let's do something this is our chance to do something different yeah yeah so that, <clears throat> that'd be the, but I would really look at um their strengths and sometimes you can't see them because they're talents and they're they're things they're just you know they're kind of good at that like taking things apart or putting things together or noticing things or um so and if they're over 10 I, I like the strength um explorers but you don't need that. You can strength spot. You can look at your kids, see what are they good at? You know, um, how do they approach a group? Do they like learning by themselves? Do they like learning with others? Um, and I think it just helps us reframe things. Like the kid who has to talk while they're learning, mm -hmm. they, have to, they, they want to communicate and that's how they learn. And then the other kid's mom, stop. Right. Let me think and quiet and process it. Yeah. Um, uh, I think with, you know, I learned with music, you don't, you know, play, now we now know how much music plays. You know, I have kids I work with, they have playlists for different things they do. And that tells their parents what, what they're working on, because they can hear the playlist. Interesting. Um, oh, yeah, you know, so much, oh, wow. know, so much more about music now. Yeah. Um, so, but I think I would just go slow. And especially if your kid has just gotten some diagnosis, I go, go real slow because your kid is still the same person they were before you got whatever label, whatever. They're still that same person afterwards. Now, again, my own kid, one of my kids got in a car accident and kids who got sick, that, those are a little bit different because they could do things before that they now can't do. And so there's, that's a little, that's a little different. It's a little harder because they have to, they miss their old selves. We miss their old selves, right? right. So we're all going through a bit of a, a grieving process and, you know, all the steps of grieving. Um, but, you know, when you're, when it's not that kind of a situation, I just say, slow down. Um, don't run from thing to thing. You know, you got plenty, you know. And I think that's the other thing. People worry they're going to mess their kids up. 
And I think if they worry about getting off that train, you know, that because our school system was designed for creating factory workers, right? And you know the story about Rip Van Winkle goes to sleep and he wakes up 60 years later and there's only two buildings that look the same, schools and prisons, right? And, I haven't heard that one, but okay. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, but these, these buildings, these, the system was designed. And I know that in a regular school, traditional school, if you don't read by grade three, it's going to be very hard. But that's because the system is set up to require you to read to learn. Right. Because when you have a very large class, it has to stay on a certain track. And the right. teacher maybe also has other classes. They can't stop and read for each person, whatever level they're at. They need to be at a certain level to keep moving forward on the schedule and curriculum. Yeah. You have to write a book report because I can't sit down and talk to every student. Right. Right. Every learner. Right. But I'm at home. We don't have to write it out. We can have a conversation about. Yes. Yeah. Book, right. And I think reading to our kids, I read, we read to our kids until they were almost teenagers. They, and then we read the same books together. Right. My daughter and I, we read all the Madeline L'Engle books and we still, oh, mom, I found another one, you know? Um, so I think enjoying these things together is so important. And then I think we have to let go of that notion that it has to happen at 17 or 18. They have to make this transition. Mm. Yes. You know, they might not be ready. Yeah. In fact, I just there's a study out of Sanford um, in 2018. 60% of college students are 24 and over now. 60%? Really? I wow. just I just came across mine. It's called the Map of Life, and it's a study that out of Stanford a couple of years ago. And it's um I knew it was getting up there. Yeah. Um, and and it's just sometimes it, it's just not the right time for them to be doing that so but we're you know if you're on this factory approach you can't get off because mm-hmm. where will you get where will you onboard again right how will you get back in and so letting go of some of those ideas um and that's where we come back to how broad is your notion of learning you know is direct instruction the only way a kid can learn you know if i didn't see it happen it you know and that's the way it is in traditional school mm-hmm. i didn't see it happen you didn't learn it well that's not accurate I mean, my best stories, we went to Disney World. My kid was four. One of my kids was four. We went to a magician and he was doing some magician thing. And he knew the faces of all the money, all the way up to like 500. And I've never seen a five. It's not even in circulation. I hadn't seen a hundred dollar bill or a 500. Do I know where he learned that? Did I teach him? No. Right. You know, I have you, no. Yeah. Yeah. He knew. Yeah, so our kids are always learning, but we're looking for that cookie crumb trail that, you know, creating papers and, and. Well, then that's that's what you said, how it's, if I didn't see it happen, you didn't learn it. Right. And that's very much the idea and concept of school. And that even many times in home education, it's, you know, if, well, you didn't create it or do it, so you must not know it, you must not have learned it, where I think we do miss a lot of those times where it's like the passive where they've done something where we're not even around, and it's stuck with them, and it and it's there, and they have learned it, but they might not even mention it or reflect it until years later. Yeah, and later. And it's so important to understand that, you know, there's, there is focus learning, and sometimes, like, I don't know that I'd give a two-year-old scissors without being there to 
give some instruction. <laughs> uh, but at the same time, they need opportunities. It's a practice, right? Right. Just my yoga. I do yoga. It's a practice. I need, it's a practice. It's not, it's a, do, a one and done. Oh, and I, and I remember being in nursery school and one of the kids said to me, we were putting up art or something and, and, and Adam says, I don't have to write my name anymore. I already practiced that with my dad and I already know I don't have to do that anymore. I said, oh, gee, Adam, you know, I, I can put it up without your name on, but I'm not sure I'm going to remember whose drawing this is. And he looked at me like, oh. Okay. And he wrote his name. He understood <laughs> why. You put your name on your art so that when we take them down, we know whose it is. But we've lost that in learning. You know, we've lost, and we don't want kids to ask why all the time. But that's an important question to be asking. You know, why? Why do I need to know this? Um, my daughter just found out why you need algebra. She, um, she took during the pandemic, she's in, she was a nanny and the family didn't need her as much anymore. And, um, so she decided to take this position with my one of my husband's clients, and she's what they call a data analyst. So she has to organize data that these companies have to fit this new system. Right. And she said, and they had to figure out something. And they had, to, oh, this is really easy with the formula in Excel. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, I'm just, right. <laughs> I know, and I'm so enjoying hearing her work with her dad and and I'm like here and I hear her voice and she's in California. Oh, this is so cool. So she's, she's in her thirties and she's learning again on something new. And that was our goal. That was it. I want my kids to be able to make that shift if they want to or need to. And she just decided, I don't think I want to pick up a new family during, during the pandemic. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, this just came about during the pandemic. So, um, and now she likes just, you know, I, she's doing it like 20 hours a week and she's still with her family that she's been with for 10 years. But I, the important thing is she's, she's learning something new and she's using something she thought she would never use. Right. And it didn't go away either. Like it didn't go away. No, it's still, it's still there. She's able to retrieve it. Is you know that I think yeah yeah absolutely. So it is kind of fun and like I said, it's easier to have these conversations with you because we are, you know, on a, in a different spot right in our work in our lives. But I I really really appreciated knowing my kids when when my when my youngest son got in that accident because I really did know how he learned and um, it was, was so. Home, were you home educating before he got in his accident? You were. And how yeah. long had you been homeschooling for? Um, about four years. Okay. 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 Four years, yeah. So, um, and yeah, he was so about seventeen mm-hmm. when he was in his accident. Is that right? Yeah. Just about ready to. He had already, you know, applied to. He was actually applying to different kind of programs, and we were. Um, he had already been taking some classes at college, and pretty much, you know, working. And all of my kids. And that's the other thing about home learners. They almost all have their own things they do when they're teenagers. You know, one had a lawn mowing business. Another one, Chris installed computers. My daughter did childcare. They were, they had that initiative to go do things. And I could kind of tell when they didn't really want to do something. Mm-hmm. Like, like my daughter would come, mom, can I go do this? Like, oh, okay. So where are you going? How's it? I don't know. That's odd. What? So who's going? I don't know. So how are you <laughs> I don't know. Like, honey, this I need more information about this, you know. And then she'd go, my mom says no. And then she'd hop off. She drops his phone and she'd 
skip away. I'm like, okay, she just didn't know quite how to navigate that situation. Right, right. But that one. Building, you had the chance to really build those bonds and connection like you talk about. And that was the basis of it as well. Yeah. yeah. But that whole thing of, you know, that's that's my planner. I mean, she always knew, you know, where are you going? How, you know, just because you need to know those things. If something happens, I need to know how to find you. I don't want, you know, the, you know, our, every parent has um, those worries, right? Mm-hmm. I'm an optimist. What is it? Madeline Albright. So I'm a, I'm an optimist with, that worries a lot, right? <laughs> right. You know, because you do, you know, they're out and about, they're driving, they're, it's late at night, you, you don't know. And I like to be able to go to sleep too. So it's always a good thing. So, yes, yeah, we all do. We all do. Yes. So I, um, yeah, I have a few, I'm like, there's a few questions I wanted to ask you and get into okay. as well. But I, I, I also want to, you know, after have allowed time to, for you to talk about learning without borders and also how you support, um, how you support the science of feeling safe for parents that are interested in learning more about it and getting into it. Because I, I do, I agree 100%. It's such an important part of, you know, learning is about safety. And I know, you know a big thing that I also feel to be supporting self-directed learning is that yeah. to build self-direct, you probably know about self-determination theory and DC Ryan and, you know, really so much is based on that, right? The relatedness, yeah. the um, uh, pr- chance to practice the uh-huh. and um, the chance for autonomy. And the relatedness is really based on building those relationships so that there is a foundation of safety. So, the person, the learner can go out and test those limits and try things and make mistakes, but know that it's, I I might make mistakes, but that's okay. I might do it completely wrong, but I'm not going to be shamed for it. I'm not, I'm not going to be not loved for it. I'm still who I am. And therefore I can go out and try again and continue to do those things and continue to practice and try. Um, Were you able, when you were like, did you really have that already when you were homeschooling your kids? Did you just kind of intuitively come into it or as you're they were home with you you began to understand that was it earlier through Montessori that you began to find those connections and then polyvagal just really fit that later on or what yeah. did that play out for you because yeah, I feel like you really have even before when you're talking about your the class yeah. of 61 to 3 you have really understood the connection piece and the safety piece when it comes to learning that you've really um, supported kids in their individual needs that way. Yeah. You know, I actually had an experience of self-directed learning myself and it was when I was in high school and I was part of our humanities project. And so we got to go, I can't remember now. I was just thinking about that. I was talking with a friend. We can't remember if it was a whole year or just a semester. We got to go and learn whatever we wanted to learn in English and social studies. And we had like speakers and this is during the 70s when there was like all this racial tension and we had a lot of diversity and we had conversations and I got to study and learn and it really whetted my appetite for that agency. And then when I went to college, I certainly had some big classes, but I really looked for the other ones and then being, you know, in the practicum and my Montessori. So by the time I had kind of gotten, quote, unquote, that twist of fate got into education. I was pretty much into child development and 
nurturing kids' curiosities and learning and things. Um, it's just that when you're a parent, you have so many other things you have to do too. Yes. So that carving, <laughs> that carving that time out um, was one of the biggest challenges, right? With three kids, you know, carving time out for everybody was, and so I was fortunate to be able to work part-time for most of the time, not all, but, and, um, and we had to work together, right? And so we, we, when we were homeschooling or home learning, we would sit down on Sundays and say, okay, and we always did this thing with the seasons. What kind of things do you want to do now? And um, even when they were in school, we still did that, right? And um, so we talked about, so which things can you do all by yourself? And they would schedule those whenever they wanted to. What are you sure you need need to be, be there with you? Mm. And back in the day, we would take out our planners and schedule our time together. And then there were this, for the bulk of it, things, I don't know. Okay, well, we need to have those when one of us are home. Like, you're going to do a chemistry thing? I kind of want someone to be here. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I want to come home to a house, you know. Um, so that was something that we began doing. So we we knew even when we didn't know much about this, we knew that we wanted them to develop their interests and strengths, but we almost had to be that mirror for them. Right. And yeah. we had to kind of reflect back what we were noticing about them, right? Um, and they have to have a bit of challenge. Like you were saying, they have to make some mistakes. Mm-hmm. So we can't create the perfect, obviously it didn't work anyway, the perfect childhood. Um, so helping them push out their limits a bit. And that's the other piece of polyvagal theory is that moderate stress is good as long as it's predictable enough that you can go back up and down. It's when it's unpredictable and I have no control, I have no agency in it, then it becomes difficult, right? Then I'm going to get stuck. So that much I kind of knew from child development that I've got to help these kids, you know, be able to handle a bit. And I, th- I think that I had, I mean, I was interested in my kids and I thought it was really cool when they could do things. And then as I began to learn about the brain, I began to see the mismatch of school and right. how we're, how our brain is. Still works, yeah. our, ah, our brain does not work this way. Right. So um, it, it's, you know, and, and you have kids that you know don't care if they show the teacher what they know. Like my third kid, the teacher called me. She's not one year in public school. November. Do you know your daughter knows how to read? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> I caught her out in the hall reading to somebody. I go, okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> how come she never read? For, how come, I'm shocked. How come it never happened in my classroom? Or Yeah. How come you didn't tell me that she already can read? Or Yeah. Well, we hadn't had our teacher conference and she wasn't in trouble or anything so but you know it it wasn't important to her to show other people what she knew she you know she read at home we read together I I really didn't care at this point you know the the idea my mom won't care is it my mom won't care she's going to ask me if I learned anything she's not going to care so that did start before I started homeschooling right like my mom my mom's going to ask if I learned anything she's not going to ask did I get it? Like how many pages did I read today? Or yeah, yeah she's not going to ask. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's it. But I think you know we kind of went into 
that piece of, I want our kids to enjoy learning. I love to learn. I mean, I, I want, I enjoy it. That's what I enjoy doing. So when I'm supporting the kids who learn non-traditionally, I look for their strengths. I look for those talents underneath. Um, you know, the kid who um, asks why all the time, he's, he's a discoverer. Let's give mm-hmm. him lots of things. The kid who's like, oh, they're so rigid. They have to know. He's very organized. So, and just, just yesterday we were, I was meeting with a family and mom was still making pancakes. And she said, do you mind? I'm flexible. No, finish those last three pancakes and we can talk while you're finishing. And then she's learned not to say, come and eat the Come get your pancakes so they don't get cold. She said, should they pancakes are on the table or breakfast is on the table? And the kid could make the decision. She didn't have to tell them they're going to get cold if you don't come. Right. And if they do get cold, it's not the end of the world. He can put yeah. it in the microwave. That's right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. When we first started working, she said, I wouldn't have done that, Monica. I would have been fretting about him, how fast he's coming. Because I told him to come. And he's not coming fast. And But we call it declarative language. But just attuning to your kid and knowing. And then and she said, we were talking. And she said, hang on one second, Monica. And I said, oh, okay. And she said, okay, you, you know, this morning we're going to be going to the orthodontist. And we're going to be leaving at this time. And um, if you haven't brushed your teeth by 9 o'clock, I'm going to come and remind you. Because we don't want to go to the orthodontist with right. yes. in our teeth. Um, and he said, oh, oh, okay, mom. And where before she'd have been fretting, she said, I'd have been fretting all the way till nine o'clock right. and anticipating how he's not going to want to quit his game. And he's going to, and it, we were talking and he did all of his stuff, but it's us changing, right? It's us getting grounded enough. And, it's a, and she just started doing this, you know, breakfast is on the table. This is here, not as opposed to. I, got, I need you to come. Oh, I love the one. You know, you're not listening to me. You know, my mother goes, Eight. you listen to the teacher. I think she means that I do everything I was supposed to do, right? Right. That's right. Yeah. Listening means did you comply? Right. <laughs> yes. You're not listening to me is, yeah, did you comply to what I'm saying or what I, yeah. yes, what I'm directing. Yeah. That's, that's and, the one I get. Yeah. Yes. That's right. And it's so often, you know, those words that are coming out of our mouth are there are fears and our, like our, our yes. brain going and running and running and, oh no, they're, you know, they, they they haven't done this so we need to do this and what's orthodontist going to say if I bring my child in with dirty teeth and you know all those things and then it creates a circle and you know and then the sun is bump up against that and you know feel worthless or you know that whole yes absolutely that cycle so yeah it is so hard it's because we're we're caught like she's talking to me, we have a certain amount of time. She's going to have to, you know, so her brain is already gearing up to go. And it happens, you know, and I don't want to say it always goes that easy because I can certainly remember having one kid on my hip and trying to get dinner organized and get the other one to soccer. And they're asking me a question. I can remember saying, you know what? It'd be better if we have this conversation after because you need to get to soccer and I'm holding the baby. And if we really have to say to have this conversation now, the answer is likely to be no, because I can't do possibility thinking right now. So you decide, you know, because <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm 
I'm like not going to be able to do this. Like I'm at tilt. Um, and, but that's not with really wee kids. I mean, that's like, you know, when they're nine, mm-hmm. ten years old, like, do you really want to have this conversation right now? Right. Where I come home and I'm really, really tired. This is where the co-regulating comes. I really appreciate my partner saying, boy, you really look beat. Why don't you go sit down and I'll make dinner, right? right. Um, that's co-regulating, right? Right. Recognizing and supporting in some way. Yeah. yeah. Right. And, and seeing your kid, sometimes asking them how their day was, when you can see their face coming out, mm-hmm. that it's not good. Co-regulating is not asking them right that moment, giving them a minute to come in the car and maybe have to vent for a minute or two, right? Or if you know they're a kid who needs food, having the food in the car. Mm. You know, sometimes we're co-regulating, you know, the hangry, you know, or the halt, mm-hmm. hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we co-regulate that way too, right? We know they probably need some water right now, or we can right. tell by the look on their face that it was not, I don't need to ask them how their day is. I can tell it wasn't a good day, right? <laughs> right. So instead of saying, how was your day or what's wrong? You look so upset. Like I've got some snacks. When you get in the car, you'll see some of your favorite snacks beside you, or here's some food. There's a water bottle in the holder or just silence. Like I love you. And then, or whatever, yeah. and then just give the space or time or, you know, the different ways of, as we get to know them and what supports them. Yeah. And, and, you know, and, and we usually hit up against this when they're really little, too. You know, I certainly remember the time we had a doctor's appointment and I'm pushing my daughter in the car seat and she's arching. And I'm and finally, I just said, oh, we were both sweaty. I just we just went in the house and we went in the rocking chair and we rocked for a little while. And I called the doctor and said, we're going to need okay. to reschedule. Yeah, that's one of those things. Yeah. 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 But it, it's, that's when it generally, you know, you have a fussy baby, too. I can remember that like calling my mom when I was doing childcare one time and her saying, you're just going to have to walk that baby. Mm-hmm. You know, you're just going to have to pushing through it. And yes, forcing you're it. Have to just hold the baby and, and then be glad when their mom and dad come home, you know, for sure. <laughs> but you know, it, it's that sometimes you have to be with them through it. You can't, you can't make it better all the time. And as parents, we want to make it better and then move on. Yes, you just yeah. have to be there with them while they're upset or while they're crying or frustrated. And then once the dust settles, then we can problem solve. But that was so hard for me as a mom because I wanted to fix it. My husband was actually better at it initially. Right, right. Me, like he'd be going. Yeah. Like, I think what that's often what many of us do as moms and parents is we want to fix it. We want to be the problem solver all the time and save the day. So our kids aren't upset. So they don't feel worried. So they don't ever feel like all those things that we consider negative emotions. So we try and push through it instead of processing and being and all those things. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so much easier, you know, to talk about it than to do it, you know, and a lot of us, I was conditioned to just push mind over matter. And I don't know that we don't want our kids to listen to their bodies. Right. I mean, this is that piece that it doesn't, it's not an excuse. It's just listening to your body, paying attention, right, to what's happening. You know, your face is all flushed. Your hands are all clammy, you know. 
and then my grandmother used to go throw some cold water in your face. And that is a bagel break, <laughs> putting cold water on your face. That's, it's a good one. Right? Yeah. That's the, neuro, the neuroception, then the co-regulation and all of that, right? Okay. Yeah, so that's a place to start. And like I said, Kathy uh, Magnuson and I um, do a course on strength-based learning. Yeah, if you can, you can talk about that. So I think this is a great now, what time as well as we're getting to our time to talk about the courses that you offer and how, where Learning Without Borders, um, how we can find you and learn more and connect and how you support parents in that way. Yeah, but as I said, I, I'm now in private practice so I can, I work one-on-one with families and I also partner with other organizations. I partner with um, Kath Fraze who does 100 Roads. Last year, we did some work um, and Kathy Magnuson from Wildwood Learning and I um, do a lot of courses together on strength-based resilience, strength-based learning, um, and we work with groups of childcare providers. We've worked with um, other programs too, where we offer webinars and workshops, and we have a free e-class too on my website and on hers. And so that's a good place to start with us, and then and then we we schedule them out, you know. Right. And they're usually four to six hours. So it's a bit of a commitment, but you need time in between to practice this. These aren't things that it's not a brain dump, you know, where you're just going to, I'm going to give you all this information. So it's better. And you can learn about your own strengths because we think that's really important. And then when you can see your own strengths, it's so much easier to see your kids' strengths. Absolutely. Okay. And you can see where you butt heads too. Right. <laughs> right. Um, so that's one thing I do. And then um, I guess I do do educational therapy because um, the, I have a real soft spot for the kids who learn in non-traditional ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, and that's one of my gifts to be able to do that. So I do one-on-one coaching that way or teaching. Um, I used to do more advocating. I'm not doing as much of that in schools anymore. Um, it's not really one of the things I really enjoy. So I know there are lots of other people who are good advocates, Mm -hmm. people who want to stay in the school. Um, But I do work, and I also do sound therapy, which is the Safe and Sound Protocol, and ILS has a focus program. And these are all bottom-up strategies. That's what working with your autonomic nervous system, all the things below the academics. Like um, one of my colleagues just posted the other day, um, somebody came and her kid, the handwriting was, you know, really hard to read and everything. And they worked on um, what we call vestibular system moving, figuring out where you are in space. They did Legos and clay. Mm-hmm. And then in three months, the kid's handwriting was so much better. They never, ever did any handwriting. So sometimes you have to go, and I learned that from Montessori too, you have to go below. Right. Below what they're able to do. And then you build up. So I do offer educational therapy like that. Um, so I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in this stage of my life now where I'm doing more of what I really, really like to do. And hopefully if you come in a month, my website will be upgraded. So that'll be awesome. And that's learningwithoutborders.com. Yep. And you can find me on Clubhouse. You can find me on Instagram. I'm, I have a blog, but I'm not very, very consistent. Um, and I have a Facebook page. And then I, like I said, I do do the personal growth meets alternative ed Facebook group. And we just, um, we had Pat Faringa come in February to talk about the third edition, um, of, um, John Holt's book. Yes. And then, yeah. And then, um, 
going without schooling. And mm-hmm. then we did um, we we just did Limitless, which is Jim Quick's book last month because um, he's someone who had a brain injury and had to learn different ways of learning. So, and then we'll I'll be presenting at Arrow probably again. If folks don't know about Alternative Education Resource Organization, it's a great, great air, great organization for all different kinds of alternative learning, not just homeschooling, all different kinds. And I think um, it's probably the largest organization that does that work. And also is, um, yeah. Alliance for Self-Directed Learning is another wonderful um, organization. So there's lots of places to learn about this. Um, but like I said, if somebody calls me, I always offer a half hour of free consulting. Um, you know, just need to go to my website and, you know, direct message me or something. And and usually I can help you at least find what you're looking for. If it's not, if I'm not the right person, I can say, you know, you might want to contact Robin or you might want to contact somebody else or, um, you know, it's so, so interesting because when you've been doing it this long, you do know lots of people yeah. in dot yeah. different places. So, I'm not always the best match for somebody, but I often know somebody who could be a good match um, for wherever that person is on the path. Right, right. So uh, what I'll do is I'll include your website and ways to contact you on the show notes. So anyone listening can just go to the show notes and click. Um, and then do like Facebook. And yeah, Monica, you can reach her in many ways, website, clubhouse, Facebook. Uh, and see all of the wonderful support that she offers. So that will be included in there. So thank you so much. I'm I'm so happy that we got to spend this time to talk and that you could share your insight with my audience on the show here. I, I appreciate it. And I know others listening to Will as well. Thank you so much. It's so much fun talking with you, Robin. So um, it, it's been delightful. And I can't wait to see you again on Clubhouse and other places. So Absolutely. Yes. And I, I'm as, as time now, it's, it's spring and things slow down a bit. I'm looking forward to be able to schedule and sit in on one of your one of your courses or, you know, I, actually, Monica does on the on your Facebook page offer some great ones there. The personal growth and learning is that's always some really good things going on there as well. So I recommend it. And uh, yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in today. If you enjoyed this episode, please share, leave a review or comment. I'd love to hear your thoughts, ideas, and reflections on the episode. You can go to the website, imhomeschooling.com, or email me directly, robin at imhomeschooling.com. Mm-hmm.